Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Today, we'll be continuing our series in Acts. So great to see you guys. Uh, This is where we live in uh, paradise. If you're visiting from uh, Arkansas or, uh, you know, this is highly unusual. It's uh, usually a blizzard here. (laughs) Seriously, I was with some people uh, who are from other parts of the country in Canada Friday night, and... uh, and it was, Jan and I, we was an outdoor dinner and we were wearing our heavy coats, you know, because it was 60 degrees and, uh, uh, and they were all short sleeve. and I said, this is amazing. I said, oh, it's a little bit brisk, you know. <laughs> but today is beautiful. Well, listen, I want to jump right in. We're going to go back to the book of Acts, turn with me to Acts chapter 8, and we're going to tackle uh, two big themes today. Uh, One is the inclusivity of the gospel. That's a big idea, and we're going to get even more into it next week. The second is the supernatural. As you know, in the book of Acts, as well as the gospels, it's just replete with supernatural events, but oftentimes because we were born post-enlightenment, we don't know what to do with the supernatural. We're either apologetic for it or we're trying to make it happen and, and we, we, we kind of don't know what to do with the area of the supernatural. So as is my style, when I come to a passage of scripture that's dealing with any subject, we just drive right through it. And uh, so we'll be driving right through those things, particularly around the life of Philip. Philip is often a person that goes unknown and unheard of. Uh, because he's just this guy that was a deacon in the early church, but he was a guy that God greatly used. So let's take a moment to pray, and we'll dive right in. Lord, we know that you are here, and you are a supernatural God that changes lives, and so we invite you by your Holy Spirit to work in our lives. We're not pointing at people around us who need to be changed We're pointing pointing at ourselves. We want to grow. We want to learn. We want to be used of you. And yes, we want to be transformed. So, Holy Spirit, use your word to do that in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and Saul approved of their killing him. Funny way to begin, but it's pointing back to the killing of of Stephen. You'll remember that Stephen uh, was a deacon, one of the seven deacons, and, but he was a phenomenal preacher, and he was given this opportunity to preach to all of the head, heads of state of Jerusalem the gospel of Jesus Christ, and what he received back was stoning to death. He was killed, and it was a deep, deep loss, but the person who was giving his permission to all of that uh, was the Apostle Paul, who became the Apostle Paul. But here, he's just simply uh, a Pharisee who happens to hate Christians, happens to hate Jesus, happens to not believe in any of that, and he's feeling like he needs to stamp it out. And yet, God ends up choosing him, loving him, and winning him uh, to Christ. A beautiful story. It's really your story. You're a miracle. That, uh, that God would choose you. Some of you are looking at me like it's not such a big miracle. Like, <laughs> oh, I get it. 
I, I understand why God wanted me. I'm amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm cute. I'm cuddly. But no, you're a miracle, right? Let's just start right there. So right after that, it says, on that day, out of that death of Stephen, uh, the martyrdom of Stephen, a great persecution broke out. So the, the Jerusalem authorities were emboldened by this. And they began to persecute the church in Jerusalem. And all the people except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea, which is southern Israel, and Samaria, which is central Israel. God, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, just uh, he dragged off both men and women. It's just stunning that, you know, letting us know that women were persecuted just like the men uh, and put them in prison for what they believed. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to the city of, in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. These small verses have a lot in it, and we need to just stop and unpack this for a moment. One is the issue of inclusion. One is the issue of the supernatural that's happening here. So it tells us that Philip went down with a lot of people being scattered. First of all, let's talk about persecution. Oftentimes, throughout the history of the church for the last 2,000 years, persecution has had the result probably the majority of the time of eventually advancing the gospel. Kind of like trying to put out a fire with oxygen. It forces the church to think through, do I really believe this? Would I really die for this? Uh, do I need to tell other people about this? And so all complacency and apathy is gone and everybody suddenly is just, I'm on fire. You know, this is what I believe. And it's a great thing for you and I to think through that, that question, what would you die for? And if you would die for it, why don't you live for it? Right? Uh, we saw that firsthand in, in Iraq. It's happening right now with three million of the three and a half million Christians in Iraq all fleeing Iraq or uh, being martyrs for their faith because of ISIS uh, and also other uh, Muslim persecution, fleeing, well, the less than half a million, maybe even a quarter of a million that's left, are rethinking, uh, what is our Christianity? What is our brand of Christianity? Are we still, for example, only Orthodox, Chaldean, Assyrian, ethnically, uh, that you have to be a part of our ethnicity, kind of to be part of our church? Are we a new church that's now including Kurds and, uh, and uh, Yazidis and Shia and Sunni Muslims who are all turning to faith in Jesus Christ? It's a great question. The church now is being rebirthed, and I think it's going to be retooled 
for a great awakening because now this church is not primarily ethnic. This church is primarily Jesus that, that is including all kinds of people. So what happened to the early church is what happens to us today. And by the way, before this persecution, you could argue that the church in Jerusalem was bunching up. We do that today. Bunching up is where you have a group hug because we all love each other and we all like to be with each other and it's so cozy and it's so loving. You, me, the same. Oh, it's so cool. And it happens in churches, it happens in home fellowships, it happens in Bible studies, prayer circles, where we don't want any newcomers. You know, they might mess it up. We got the chemistry just right. We just, we love to do the potluck first, and we love to hang out, and then we love to do this, and we love to, that's just who we are. And then a newbie comes in. And then God says, hey, you know, you're going to do this forever in heaven. So you're bunching up. I'm going to spread you out. Those of you that have coached soccer for six-year-olds, you know what it's like. <laughs> bunching up, and you're pulling your hair out. That's what happened to me, trying to uh, get them to spread out. The same in basketball. Go to space. Open up the game. You don't just walk up to someone and say, Pass. You got to go to some other part of the court, a different part of the field, open up the game. But little kids don't know that. And believe me, Christians don't know that. We bunch up. One of the places we bunch up is in church. We are here to be retooled. This is the locker room to go out and be lights for the world, right? But I would just like to bunch up, wouldn't you? Just be cozy. But there's a reason why we're still on planet Earth to share the love that you have discovered about Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question. Um, if someone that was a close, close friend of yours had something that was a valuable secret that could change your life and they never shared it with you but told you that they were your close, close friend, how would you feel if you discovered later on this truth but they kept it from you. Like for me, it would be if there was a secret surf spot that's still left in, in Southern California and I'm meeting with this best friend for 10 years and he never tells me about the secret surf spot. We're not friends anymore. <laughs> I'm just saying, it's, we are not friends. Whatever he calls friendship is, is not friendship. I think some of you are getting the analogy. There's a secret spot you know about, and it's Jesus. He changes lives. But it's threatening for us to go out of our bunching up to go out and share the gospel. Not me. Oh, it would be. But these opportunities are all around us. We just don't see them as opportunities. So what God did here is he just broke up the holy huddle, the family reunion, and he sent them out, some into Judea and some into Samaria. Now, let me have you look at the map to just so you can see where Samaria is. Here's Jerusalem down here, and Samaria is right up here. 
This is uh, Sychar and uh, Shechem in Mount Gerizim where they worship. So maybe 20, 25 miles to go up there. But the interesting language that's used here is it says Philip uh, went down to the city of Samaria. And it seems strange to us that he would travel north to go down. We don't, we don't go down to L.A., right? We go up to L.A., because that's what we do north. But if you go down in elevation, you go down. So the people in Ramona go down. The people in Julian, no matter where they go, they go down. So Jer- Jerusalem is a mountain, so they, he goes down, and I guess he's traveling with some other people, but he's the leader, and he goes down. Now, what I love about this is that Philip is a deacon, now, most of us, unless you're a Baptist, which Baptists use the word deacon for elders, uh, people on the board, but the rest of the church around, you know, the, I see some Baptists out there uh, saying, yeah, that's the way it is. But for the rest of us, the deacons are kind of like one step down from the elders. And so, you know, there's the bishops and then the pastors and then the elders and the deacons. And you're finding out that the deacon who just does service-type ministry, helping the poor, like a benevolent fund, we have deacon-type people here, uh, that he's actually going out as an evangelist. I love the fact that we're all on call for everything, and God might use us for everything. Uh, And we just don't put it off on some professional that's going to do it. And Philip just volunteers and he goes down to Samaria. We don't know the, other, the rest of the circumstances. If he knew people, if God led him supernaturally, but he goes down. And here's the, the crazy thing, that the Samaritans are half Jewish. So if they took the 23 and Me test, uh, they would get it back eight weeks later, takes a long time, uh, and they would discover they're only... Jewish or less. They've got all this other people groups in them. And so the Jews who are purebreds look down on the Samaritans as half-breeds. And the question comes, since the gospel has only gone out to Jews at the beginning, keep in mind the first number of Jews in Jerusalem in that that area was probably about 70,000 no Gentiles. It was a Jewish sect. You get it? And it's so ironic that people of Jewish faith now think of Christianity as a Gentile faith, but its origin, I hate to say it, Jesus, hello, he was Jewish. The 12 apostles, hello, Jewish. And the first church and churches in and around Jerusalem, all Jewish. The question is, Are Samaritans supposed to hear it? I don't know. Does God have that plan? Well, fortunately for the Samaritans that Jesus had, we know of at least two missions in the Gospels where he takes the disciples through Samaria. And so they probably were already groomed to understand that Samaritans should be included. So as the disciples disperse because of persecution, they're hiding out, they go to places that are away from the capital, Jerusalem. And some people go south into all of Judea and some people go north into Samaria. Now, what happens there is amazing. 
Philip begins to tell people uh, about Jesus being the Messiah. What we have to get out of our minds is the Western idea that he put on a crusade. When we hear the word evangelist or evangelism, we tend to think in large numbers, stadiums, just because of the impact of Billy Graham, Reinhardt, and all the, Greg Laurie, all these other people that just, they're evangelists. But truth be told, the majority of evangelism does not go on in stadiums. It goes on one and one. And the one-on-one evangelism is more efficacious than the stadium evangelism. If a friend comes to faith because of a friend, there is a 70 to 80% chance that that conversion will stick. If, if someone comes forward in a crusade, there's a 5 to 10% chance that it'll stick. So it's really important that you and I all feel like we're deputized to evangelize and share the good news with our friends. So I'm imagining Philip is going out. He knows some people. He meets some other people. Picture Starbucks. Uh, picture Cold Stones ice cream. You know, it's it just the marketplace. You meet people. You b- begin to have these conversations and things begin to happen. They're finding out about Jesus being the Messiah. Now we come to not only the issue of inclusion, that Jesus wants to include everybody with the gospel and push us out of our bunching, but he does it sometimes supernaturally. We all need to think about, will we allow the supernatural to be a part of what God does? Now, there's an unfortunate word here in the text that I want to draw your attention to because I think there's a better way to translate it. In verse 6, it says, when the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs, which is referring to miracles that are signs pointing to the veracity of Jesus and the gospel, he performed, the signs he performed. I think the word performed is an unfortunate translation. It makes sense because my word doesn't sound as impressive. I would just use the word did, D-I-D. The signs he did. Now, you can see why they didn't want to use that word, right? It sounds flat, perform, sounds much better. But my problem is perform has a connotation, doesn't it? Performance. When I see someone performing miracles, uh, stage, theatrics, loud, attention-getting, performance, it's a big turnoff for me. For some people, they're drawn to that. They love the show. But if I could argue anything about how we need signs and wonders and miracles today without performance. And the second thing I would argue for, and it needs to be primarily in the street, not the show in the church. That's the way Jesus did it. That's the way the disciples did it. But we tend to say, we're going to put on the show in the church, and this is where we do it. Now, you and I know that after every service, we have people lined up here that uh, will pray for the sick, they'll pray for people with economic needs, relational needs, psychological needs, needs, and we just believe that Jesus cares about all of these issues. 
and it's always going to be here, but there's a lot more people that will never be in a church, but if you were their friend and they had a boo-boo, a broken arm, a sore throat, uh, or something worse, like a friend of mine who pastors in Oceanside just had a stroke, and we're all praying that God would heal him. Some of you know Ranos. It's, it's not a private thing. It's all, all on social media, but I hope you'll join me in praying for Ron's healing. Um, in fact, let's pray right now. God, we do pray that you would heal Ron. God, we all love him. What an example of the love of Jesus. And there at Grace Chapel, just such a, a, a beacon to old Oceanside there on the coast. God, would you raise him up and heal his brain from the bleeding and, and heal his left side, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Ron called me last night when I was just blown away that he would call me from his hospital bed and, uh, and he still has his sick sense of humor. We need to pray for that as well. But no, I love that guy. He is the best. So if we're going to do miracles instead of perform miracles, how is that going to happen? Well, there's a few things that I think we should consider. If you meet someone, let's say your neighbor has a broken arm, and you say, ah, sorry, you're, you're 89 and you should not be on skateboards. All right, but sorry about the broken arm. You know, there's nothing wrong to say, can I pray for you? And if they walk away and say, yeah, that'd be fine, I wish you would, then that's, that's the answer. Don't do it now. But they, if they say, you know, uh, I'd love that, but could we not do it right here in the street? And I say, hey, let's, let's, let's go inside, get a cup of coffee, and I'll just take a moment to pray for you. What needs to happen there? My su suggestion, my bias is no theatrics. So there you are with your neighbor. So what do you do? Well, obviously, you're going to gently touch the cast, but not grab it. And you're going to pray, dear Jesus, uh, you know I love my neighbor, and I know you love him. Uh, would you speed the healing up? And, and you just pray as God's guiding you to pray. I, I would not claim anything unless God has actually spoken to you. Just, I claim it in the name of Jesus and tell your neighbor, now take the cast off right now. <laughs> Uh, you know, nowadays you can be sued for that. <laughs> so, you know, people used to get away with a lot of different things. So we got to be careful. But here's my word. Let the supernatural happen naturally. Often in our desire for the supernatural, we become unnatural. And it freaks people out. You know, if I'm talking to you like this and then I pray for someone and say, in the name of Jesus, you know, and, and you just, everyone freaks out like, whoa, what happened to him? <laughs> I want to tell you that God doesn't hear better when you shout. <laughs> Some people argue that it raises people's faith level. Maybe it does, but I think it raises their nervous level. Uh, 
all the more. And the more we can just be natural. Uh, that God works supernaturally in natural ways. It sets every one of us free to not be theatrical, dramatic, and scare people away. And we want to be much like a baseball batter where we just meet the ball. We're not, we can't make someone be healed. Uh, you know, there's nothing I can do but cooperate with what the Spirit is doing. So as a batter just needs to meet the ball, you and I just need to meet what's happening there and let God do the rest. Not everyone I witness to is saved and not everyone I pray for is healed. But I still share and I still pray and the results are his. Now, here's, if I may, are you still there? If I may talk about a bias that exists in all of us just because we're Westerners, um, coming out of the Enlightenment in the Western world, the Enlightenment told us that there's only two things that we can know for sure, and that is what we know through our reasoning, and that is what we know through science. And science has told us that miracles don't happen. Obviously, you can't replicate it. You know, if anybody replicating Jesus' resurrection? You can't replicate it, and science loves to, to replicate things, to know that this is a law, and science is looking for laws. Now, I'm not seeking to change science at all. I think that science needs to operate within the natural laws. Uh, sometimes, uh, if, if science is pushed to use what is called God of the gap, and and you say, well, well, why did the temperature change? If you and I say, God did it, then science never presses in to find out why that thing happened. So I understand science needs to operate within the laws of science, but when science becomes the pope and tells us what God can do or can't do, and we believe it, that's a belief system. That's a religion. That's a belief system. And God tells us, by the very definition of God, that supernatural happens. Think of it. Not only the resurrection, but all the healings that happened uh, through Jesus' ministry, it's pointing to the fact that he's a supernatural God that occasionally breaks into the natural world and does something that we can't explain. Someone's healed. Someone's set free from an evil spirit. And... We can't take it. Now, after it happens, you can and I think you should go to a doctor to verify, am I truly healed? Did this thing really happen? Because God doesn't semi-heal or God doesn't faux heal or fake heal. But if you're healed, then the doctor will be able to verify it. But nevertheless, God is a supernatural God. Just think of it. Here's a quote from C.S. Lewis I want you to think about and then follow it with a quote from Einstein that most people are familiar with. Lewis says, miracles are a retelling in small letters of the very same story which is written across the whole world in letters too large for some of us to see. Now, some of you are going, what, what was that? I don't, I don't get it, you know. Um, if you can imagine, there's letters right here around us that say, I love you but the letters are 4,000 feet high, uh, we wouldn't see them. They're just these, these things that we walk around. 
Well, it, they're more than 4,000 feet high. It's, it's the universe. <laughs> the, and no matter, I know we as scientists will say, what, we have it figured out. It's the Big Bang. That there's these par- particles, you know, and, and these atoms, and, and smaller than atoms, we're all compressed so tight, this, this tiny little thing, and then finally, <laughs> And all this space was created through that. And I said, well, okay, that makes it really clear. (laughs) But how did this thing happen? This tiny thing that you're describing, where did that come from? And at, at some point, you have to say, wow, could there be a God? So for me, yeah, the answer is yes. But then there's other places that you can look at the bigness of the letters of miracles. Look at all the animal life around us, whether it's birds, whether it's uh, any kind of animal, butterflies, all these different things. You can argue, say, well, they're all simply evolved species that happen to be beautiful to you and unique to you just because that's how you interpret but it's just random, uh, ran- random mutations. I just don't have the faith for that. I don't. I think that there's, and by the way, that is a belief. I believe even if God used random mutations, there is something here pointing to a big, big supernatural God. I could go on and on. Uh, to quote Princess Bride, but I won't. (laughs) But I will point to you for a moment. You are the biggest miracle that the world will ever know. That you, headstrong, going your own way, decided to believe that God loved you and say yes to him and that God climb into your life and God is changing. This is just... Can you change a human being? I don't know. It takes a supernatural God to do that. So supernatural happens. Einstein said this, there are only two ways to live your life. One, as though nothing is a miracle. The other, as though everything is a miracle. Wow. So with the, the, the distribution of Christians, you and I recognize, and okay, he sends us out from bunching. He sends us out Uh, to love people who are different than us. Maybe I'm Jewish, and I'm now going to love a Samaritan. It's going to be a cultural gap, a racial gap, but God loves someone different than me. Did you know if you follow Jesus, if you dare to follow Jesus, he will press you to love someone different than you? Gulp? Yeah, he's going to press you to love someone different than you. And God wants different expressions, racial, gender, age, all in, the, in, in heaven with him. And he's going to do it naturally, supernaturally. So let's go on in the story and discover that sometimes when you and I decide and you agree with what this crazy man is saying today, uh, that there's going to be distractions that come your way. And this is where we deal with... Uh, the text here in regards to evil spirits. Now, some, for some time, a man named Simon, verse 9, 
had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly along, uh, this man is rightly called the great power of God. Boy, what a dangerous title that is. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. So you would say that he had some kind of a, what appears to be some kind of supernatural ability going on, but it was from the dark side. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. And Simon himself believed and was baptized. And he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles that he saw. So what happens after this is that John and Peter up in Jerusalem, the big boys, hear that this revival's going on in Samaria. They come down to pray for the new followers of Jesus to also receive the Holy Spirit. That's the good housekeeping seal to say, yes, everybody gets the Holy Spirit, not just Jews, but the Samaritans as well. And Simon sees them praying for people and the Holy Spirit coming upon the converts, and Simon offers money to Peter so that he can have that ability as well. Whoa, is that scary? It's, that it's, you're saying it's not God, it's trickery? It's not God, you, you got it through money? And so Peter rightly responds to him, and, and, he, and he says, may your money perish with you. I love the fact that he doesn't just simply do what maybe some pastors might do, just saying, hey, we're just glad you're here. Whatever you want, uh, just take a seat, and hopefully you'll change over a few years from, from your attitude and your motive. But Peter just calls it right from the beginning, and he says, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and and captive to sin. Simon hears this rebuke and he says, Ah, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. And, uh, and it says that Peter and John returned to Jerusalem uh, preaching the gospel in many different Samaritan villages while they were there. So this issue of a man who comes from the dark side and sorcery, and we'll tie this little passage with what was said earlier where it says in verse 6 and 7, that uh, Philip, there were signs and wonders, and, and in verse 7 it says, For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. So what do we do with this issue? Because it has to be, I don't think it's something we talk about a whole lot in the church, and frankly, I don't think I would come to church if that's what we were talking about all the time. Uh, I don't want to give any notoriety to the devil, but nevertheless, it's good for us as believers to be tooled 
in our worldview to understand there is evil that's out there. And if I, as a coach, told you it wasn't there, I would not be doing you a service. So there is the dark side. And here, in this case, it seems that people who I would call demonized, or you might just want to say they have critters from the dark side traveling along inside of them. They're on the bus. And, uh, and they're somehow attracted to Philip. Like moths are attracted to the light. And why is that? Well, you would think that they would run away and flee, but they're, they're coming around. And Philip, in certain cases, is rebuking the spirits. The spirits are leaving the people with some kind of screaming going on. Now, you and I would probably say here in the Western world, we have not seen that very often in Starbucks, right? Uh, and, and maybe we would even argue that in, in a post-Christian nation, uh, that, we, that maybe it doesn't exist here as it does as much in other parts of the world that practice more sorcery or occultic practices. But nevertheless, I would have to say that it still does exist. Uh, you know, just like raccoons still exist in my neighborhood. <laughs> Coyotes still exist. Uh, skunks, especially, still exist. So just to, just to talk about this for a moment as a family. Um, I think that sometimes people do get, you can use the word possessed, demonized, uh, evil spirits because of our practice in the occult. We open ourselves up to want to control the world through black magic, white magic. We begin to open ourselves up uh, to the dark side. And people do that, still practice that in different parts of the world. I was in India, which I've been to a few times, but one particular time, there was this outdoor concert happening, being put on by Christians. Beautiful music, primarily worship music, uh, a kind of a gazebo with a stage there, and, this, and the worship was happening. I think most of them were uh, Catholic, but true believers putting on this, this worship. And uh, people just love music, so they come, and there's maybe four or 5,000 people just sitting around this field listening to this music, but I'm watching, I'm there. I'm not telling you somebody else's story. I'm watching people that happen to have evil spirits walking towards the stage, either slithering uh, like snakes or crawling like dogs or uh, different kind of animal people behavior, and then once they get to the posts that are holding up the gazebo, some of them are going up the posts just like a snake would. And I'm looking at that. And, in, and so someone of science will say to me, didn't happen. Absolutely didn't happen. Or someone will say to me, uh, delusional. They were delusional. They were psychotic. They were just having an episode. And we would love to shrink it down to a bite-sized understanding so that we get rid of the supernatural world, both God and the dark side, but I would have to say I was there and it was dark. But they were attracted and some were being set free and some not. So what do we do with that? 
It just got real quiet. Did you feel that? <laughs> Again, I'm only going to tell you my story because I can't speak for anybody else. Uh, right here in Encinitas, Starbucks, I was there to meet a man to counsel him and to confront him about his life, hopefully save his marriage and, and the decisions he was making. I'm standing in line. My friend is out there at the table waiting for me, and I'm standing in line to get our coffees. And this lady that I've never seen before or ever seen again comes walking up and turns to me with a very evil look on her face, and she says, I know who you are, and I know why you're here. And, you, and she starts intimidating me and telling me why I should not talk to my friend about blah, 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 blah. And I'm just looking, looking at her, and I realize uh, this is like a moth attracted to the light, uh, but she's trying to disrupt, discourage me. And it's happened before. Uh, one time we were in Steve's ice cream. Notice I'm always in an eating place. Um, <laughs> Steve's ice cream, which was the precursor to all uh, stone ice cream mixing. It happened back there in, in uh, Somerville, uh, Massachusetts. And uh, we're, Jan and I were talking with a lady uh, after a, a little small fellowship, and this lady comes in off the street, and she's, she's doing that same thing that I just described in Starbucks. And and only reading our mail. You're a, kind of like a personality profile. You're a this, and you're a this, and you do this, and you do this, and you do this. And you're thinking, how do you even know me? And then I realized, oh, this is a spirit. And I interrupted her, and I said, you're welcome to join us if you want to change. And she says, okay. And she sat down, but then she keeps interrupting. And I said, I'm commanding you to be silent while we're here. And she kept interrupting, and then I finally had to command her to leave in the name of Jesus. So you and I have power. Jesus has given us power over that kind of evil. Now, once again, do we have to be theatrical about it? Do we have to be loud? Do we have to be boisterous? No, it's just, but the, the idea is when we hear or see anything like that, we just want to, you know, uh, turn into some Jedi. <laughs> Our faith is not in us. Our faith is in Jesus Christ. And, and, and if anything, I would, I would say go quiet, go confident, uh, and realize that your trust is in Jesus Christ. Another man that I saw, saw set free in Scotland um, I thought he was coming forward after a church service for counseling, sat down on the pew right next to me, and we began to talk, and as he began to share his life with me, his eyes rolled back in his head, and he went over backwards in the pew and began to slither around like a snake, I, you know, in Scotland, not in India, and, uh, and all these Christians come running over seeing this, and they all do the Jedi thing. <laughs> in the name, in the name, come on. And it's just like, and I'm just like, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Demons aren't deaf, you know. Um, just back off, go quiet, give him space, and then spoke to the spirit. 
Look at me. Look at me. I command you in the name of Jesus to look at me. And then once the eye contact is there to say, I command you in the name of Jesus to leave. And the power is there. Now, there's other variables here. One is the readiness of the person to be set free. Sometimes they really don't want to be set free. Other times, um, there's environmental issues at home or where they live that we have to get our hands dirty and say, you know, we have to find a different place for them to live because they're going to go right back to practicing what they they were practicing and brought them into. So we're kind of like social worker, everything, as we see people set free. But these are dear people that Jesus loves. And it's a part of the story here, and now it's a part of our story. We, you may encounter this in your lifetime, you may not. But I think it's important as a pastor for me to not skirt a passage of scripture, but to talk about it plainly so you are tooled and equipped to, do, to be ready for what God has for you. So let me give you some uh, practical principles that we learn from the life of Philip in these stories. Uh, One is to just say God wants a church family to love each other, yes, like they did in Jerusalem, but to share the good news outward everywhere. Think that way. Especially people that are different and people that are uh, beyond uh, your comfort zone. Secondly, expect good to come out of bad. Persecution. I'm sorry. Uh, the persecution we receive in America is, is maybe uh, someone not wanting to be around you because you're a Christian or gentle mocking or belittling, you know, that, 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 and that's, that's what you get here. Um, so deal with it and just know, okay, that's part of the story. Not everybody's going to love you because you're a believer, but learn to make lemons into lemonade, that good it can come out of it. The third thing is step out in faith. I remember being on a double black diamond slope as a, as a, a bunny hill skier. And my friends say to me, yeah, this is my second time out on the slope, they say, Mark, you're a natural. And they take me to a double black diamond. And, and I'm looking down and I'm thinking, are you kidding me? And I'm thinking, how do I get back and and so forth? And they just said, stay on your toes. Just stay on your toes. Don't ever go on your heels. Stay on your toes. And, uh, you know, I went down like goofy. Just, (laughs) you know, and and made it to the bottom. And I said, I'll never do it again. (laughs) Just lean into it. it. Yeah, it's scary at first to share your faith, to step out in faith. But here's how you share your faith. Here it is. You ready? Just tell your story. No one can say your story didn't happen. No one can say your story isn't true. And you say, well, what's my story? Your story is the before and after story. My story is I was an idiot. I accepted Jesus. And now I'm still an idiot, but not so much. <laughs> yeah, that's my story. And so you have a story, but your friends deserve to know your story. Fourth, 
distractions will happen. And you can call it the devil. Sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. But you can be guaranteed if you step out in faith that there's going to be a distraction. But next, follow the little nudges. These are the things that we often ignore. And this is really supernatural. You're in a grocery store. Someone drops a cucumber in the produce section and you feel this nudge. Go pick it up for them. No, that's going to look like I'm hitting on her. I don't want to, you know, I don't want anybody to think that I, you know, and just like, pick up the cucumber. It's, it's, it's a little nudge from God to start the conversation. Uh, you're at a ball game and the little nudge comes and just say, just Start the conversation. I don't, I don't you know. Just start the conversation. Those nudges can lead to amazing moments. And then expect the supernatural. Expect it. God, don't demand it. Don't force it. But if God asks you to pray for them a certain way, uh, there's, there's praying for healing or anything, praying for, that God would bring their family back together again, then step into the gap and pray for a supernatural God to fix it. Let me tell you in closing a story that I heard Friday night. just blew my mind. Um, Here's a man from Iran who 30 years ago, this goes all the way back, he was born during the Shah and then under Khomeini, uh, you know, was was there. And... uh, and he meets a Christian. Christians are clandestine, not wanting to be persecuted there, but there's a, there's a revival going on in Iran now, but not then, and this Christian gives this man a New Testament and says, would you read it? They're friends, he's trusting the man, he's, he's followed the nudge, and the man says, I will read it. So he reads through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, he gets to the end of John and he's reading about the resurrection again and he's saying to himself, resurrections don't happen. Islam has told me that Jesus did not rise from the dead. Resurrections don't happen. And he comes to the verses of Thomas where he reads, unless I can see the holes in his hand, touch the holes in his hand, and my hand touches the hole in his side, I will not believe. And he resonates with Thomas, and he tells us that he took the New Testament, threw it against the wall, and said, no. You would think the story ends there. Supernatural God, right? Inclusive God, Going to win a Muslim to Christ? No problem for Jesus. So this man goes back and tells the Christian, I read. And weeks go by. And he's working at home in his study. And he senses a presence in the room. Now I've heard many miracles that are happening today among Muslims who are Arabs. But never have I heard one from an Iranian feels the presence that someone is here. He turns around to see who it is and there is the figure of a man standing there with nail prints in his hands just standing there and he said, 
for about four or five seconds, he falls to his knees and says, I believe. And he becomes a Christian. And to become a Christian in the Muslim world means at a minimum you're going to be kicked out of your family and not recognized as a human person anymore. But it also can mean persecution and or death. And so irrespective of that, he becomes a Christian. Bigger than that, he's from northeastern, northwestern part of Iran, Azerbaijan, and he becomes instrumental in translating the Bible into that language for 12 million people, a subgroup of Iran, and now has been a translator for the last 30 years to bring the gospel in written form into many of the stand countries, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, uh, all the stands, and... Um, And this is all because of a supernatural moment for him. Now, you and I can sit at a distance saying, I don't think it happened. Now, why would we do that? Ah, it's because of how we've been programmed to tell us that these things don't happen. So, guys, the sky's the limit. Anyone, God might want anyone to become a Christian. No restrictions. Wow, how cool is that? Gospel going out. Secondly, the supernatural just might happen through you. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.